Side 12. Hi, said Kin. Silver was not expert in human expressions, but by the look of her the woman had not been sleeping. In fact, she was swaying slightly. Glad you could make it, she said. I couldn't get the computers to teleport you. There's a 30% chance the power would fail while you were out of the phase. Follow me, there isn't a lot of time left. Oi, began Marco. Kin shook her head violently. No, we don't, she said. Come on. The Kung started to protest again, and Silver gripped him firmly by a couple of arms. Kin was already hurrying down a tunnel leading off the hall. It emerged in a metal cave half as big again as the one they just left. It contained a spacecraft. At least, that was the first impression. It didn't have any motors, apart from strangely large altitude jets in about the right places for altitude jets. The hull seemed to be all cabin, with enough windows to grow grapes. Cuboid robots were still clustered around it. One of them was spraying paint on the landing gear. Two others were busy on a stubby wing. Kin was already aboard. Snarling, Marco bounded up the short ladder and saw her sitting at a horseshoe-shaped instrument console. Wires trailed away from it to boxes bolted haphazardly around the interior of the cabin. In the centre of the floor, a regiment of tiny cubes were engaged in feverish activity around a tangle of wires and metal shapes. One of them butted Marco politely on the foot until he moved. "'Silver, shut that door,' said Kin. "'Hurry, and now pray to any convenient gods.' She turned and addressed the air in a tone of voice that made it clear that it was not the others she was talking to. "'We're ready.' The reply came from everywhere. "'We have a bargain.' It's a bargain, said Kin. There was a pause. The ship trembled slightly. Marco looked out and saw the cave walls slipping past. Don't say anything rash, said Kin. Don't even think if you want to get home. Have a little faith, will you, please? Sudden sunlight filled the cabin. Looking up, Marco and Silver saw a square of golden sky appear as sections of the roof slid back. The ship accelerated upwards on its section of floor. By their feet a small robot tugged a length of tubing out of the heap in the centre of the cabin. One of its many arms swung down, hesitated, gripped the tube. The metal broke where it touched. Silver jerked her head forward sharply as something tickled her ears. When she looked round cautiously, she was eyeballed a scanner with a little metal cube which was hanging from the cabin roof by three arms. It had no face, but managed to look embarrassed. Its fourth arm held a pair of calipers. Marco hissed, and struck out at another machine that was trying to climb up his leg. It landed on its back, scrabbling at the deck with all six arms. Kin laughed hysterically. Don't be childish, he gasped. When we flip into interspace, you'd like to be in a contour couch, wouldn't you? All they want here measurements. Do it! Marco opened his mouth to protest, and something touched his face. Looking down, he saw a metal tape unrolling on its way to the deck. He looked up. A robot was dangling above his head. He sighed. The ship rose into daylight. It emerged in the middle of a black sand beach, with the copper dome of the hub behind it. The sea moved lazily a few metres away. There was a shudder as the lift platform locked. Now the cubes were spraying foam over three structures of curved tubing which they had bolted to the floor. The foam congealed into about the right-sized hollows for a shand, a kung, and a human. "'We've got a little time until lift-off,' said Kin, and stood up. Has anyone got any questions? Yeah, thought you might. Okay, but get in the couches. You don't expect me to get us into interspace from the disk's surface? asked Marco, 
we wouldn't have a chance. You did it from Kung, said Kin, settling into her couch. Kong hasn't got a damn great dome over the sky. No, I don't expect to flip yet anyway. We need the couches for the primary launch. But who is going to be at the controls? I can't reach them from here. No one is going to be at the controls. There aren't any for the launch, trust me. No controls? And you want me to trust you? Yes, I want you to trust me. Marco lay down and reached for the couch straps. Silver was already prone. They lay in silence for a while. Then Kin said, Marco, can you see that round screen from your couch? I say it. It's radar. Keep an eye on it, and now perhaps I owe you an explanation. Help, said the screen. Trying not to think about it, Kin lifted the occupant out of the chair and sat down in front of the pleading letters. Keeping the hovering helmet in the top of her eye, she ran her hand over the arm. Nothing happened, except that the screen now read, You are Kin Arad. That's... Kin's voice sounded faint in the closeness of the room. She cleared her throat. That is correct, she said. Who are you? We believe you have referred to us as the Disc Masters, although we call ourselves the Committee. It's got a nice democratic ring about it. Let me see you. Is that an express wish? Well, I've come a long way to meet you. This is hardly an intimate conversation, you must admit. Kin looked around, looking for doors, hidden cameras. The walls were blank. You misunderstand us. We are machines. Computers, Jago Jalo called us. We fail to understand your surprise. I'm not surprised, lied Kin. Then we suggest you sue your face for slander. Why do you need help? It's me that needs help. What has happened to my friends? They are safely in protective custody. They were too violent to be allowed to roam loose, of course. Do you wish them to be freed and for us to provide you with transport to your home world? If you so order, it will be done. I can order you. You sit in the chair. There is no other incumbent. You are the chairman. Therefore you can give the orders. We implore you to do so. You can build me a ship. We built a ship for Jago Jalo. We assisted him, despite all that he did. Choice does not exist for machines in matters of this nature. Jalo chose to flee the disk rather than learn more about it. Kin considered this carefully. When she spoke, she spoke slowly. You will give me a ship, but if I choose to leave the disk, you won't tell me any more about it. Yes. But you said I could give the orders. Yes. However... We believe we will shortly experience a slight malfunction in our auditory circuitry. It may prevent us from hearing any subsequent orders. Kin smiled. Then there's no choice, is there? Not against blackmail. Tell me about the disc. Ken, said Marco urgently, there's something on the screen. It's about time, replied Kin. Don't worry. Yeah, I remember. Trust you. It's bloody big. What is it? 
It's our launch vehicle. Kin leaned back in the oh-so-easy chair and stared at the blank screen for a long time. "'You're wearing out,' she said. "'That's why the seas are going mad and the climate's shifting. "'I understand that. The disk is a machine. "'Machines have a finite life. "'That's why the company builds planets. "'Planets have a finite life. "'A longer one. "'They don't start to squeak on their bearings after half a million years. "'You gloat.' No, I keep thinking of a few hundred million people on a spaceship the size of a world, and then I think of all the things that can go wrong with a ship. I don't gloat. I tremble with fear and rage. She stood up and stomped across the room to ease the cramp in her muscles. It had been a long session, a subterranean travelogue of disk machinery, the earthquake machines stuck in her memory, all that ingenuity to reproduce what any half-sized world did naturally, and the demons... Well, at least she'd put a stop to the demons. There was a click as Marco undid his straps and leapt towards the horseshoe panel. He peered at the screen, then glared out of the cabin. Where the hell is it? It's gone off the screen. What was it, Ken? The blip was bigger than a... Whoomp! Beyond the windows, the sea shore exploded into a sandstorm. Marco craned his head and looked up. Darkness filled the cabin as the sun was eclipsed. Whoomp! Marco looked up at talons dropping out of the sky when the impossible bird stooped. Talons big enough to grip a ship. He made a small noise in his throat and took a dive in the direction of his couch. Whoomp! Scrabble! Whoomp! 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 The ship creaked as the claws took it gently. Then it bounded upward in a series of bone-shaking jerks. The dome of the hub swung crazily below and whirled away. The disk dropped after it, teetering across the sky until it was a blue and ochre wall. It paused there, then plunged back under the ship to loom for a moment on the other side. Whoomp! Kin concentrated on the view above to take her mind off the lurching, jerking universe. The talons all but covered the roof port, but she got occasional glimpses of the huge white wings beating now with the slow rhythm of a tide. Sound filled the cabin. It began in the painful ultrasonic, swooping down the scale like wet fingers being dragged across the windows of the soul. High above the disk, the rock stood on the air and sang. There would be no more demons. She could see why there had been demons. Demons were an idea that worked, but there would be no more. The ones Kin had met had been almost human compared with some of the things force-bred in the quiet green laboratories under the hub. They policed the disk, haunted the hidden air vents and access shafts to the machinery, chased the venturesome from the rim. Occasionally they kidnapped a new chairman for the committee. The chairman. Kin stared at the blank screen, then glanced up at the hovering direct link helmet over the chair. She had no intention of trying it for size and the computers hadn't pressed her, but they had shown her how it was used. The computers ran the disk. They adjusted its tides, circulated its waters, counted its falling sparrows, toiled and spun for the lilies of its fields, but the disk's builders had constructed them as servile mechanisms, lest the disk become too mechanical. A human had to tell them what to do. In the seventy thousand years of the disk's history, there had been two hundred and eighty chairmen thrust in terror under the helmet. 
it gave them cold new knowledge. Kin said she didn't believe it. You couldn't take a Neolithic farmer and turn him into a planetary engineer, she protested. We could. The disc builders constructed us cleverly. You won't even tell me about the builders. The screen went blank. Whoomp! Kin gripped the sides of the couch. Whoomp! The rock didn't fly, it simply bullied its way through the upper air, shoveling it aside with a sneer. Talking was difficult when G-forces slapped and banged with a horrible rhythm. Silver managed it with the least discomfort. "'I don't believe it either,' she said. "'I can see what a device like the disc would need. Whoomp! Need a sapient caretaker. No machines could handle all the problems that might crop. Whoomp! Might crop up. But unless the creature was already a technical sophisticate, he would simply become mad.' Kin braced herself for the next wing-beat. It didn't come. Beyond the window she could see the rock's wing outstretched, the tips of the huge feathers vibrating in the slipstream. The bird was starting its glide. Half the disc was spread before the canted cabin. Kin rolled out of her couch and swayed across the trembling deck until she could grasp a bulkhead. The world was a bowl of jewels flung across the sky. Ahead, wearing the setting sun like the gemstone on a ring, was the rim ocean. Rock slid on down the sky, staring at the sun with terrible bird eyes. Sometimes she shrugged her shoulders to dislodge the ice, which flashed and tumbled as it began the long fall. Kin knelt on the floating platform and watched the micro-figures of Silver and Marco thread their way through the tunnels. Elsewhere disc machines were lurching into action. She wondered what would have happened if some medieval farmer was chairman now. Could he have helped the computers start the long repair? She stood up and ordered the platform to the walkway at the rim of the map hall, and hurried up the worn stairs to the interface room. "'Hello,' said the screen. "'You don't need me,' said Kin. "'I've given you all the instructions you need to repair yourself. It will take you a long time, but you can do it without affecting the bias—oh, boy—the biohemisphere, I suppose, too much. But you can't go on like it. Not unless you get fresh materials from outside. We know. Entropy is against us. You can't go on cannibalizing old machines for spare parts. You may last another hundred years, that's all. We know. Do you care about the people on the surface? They are our children. Kin stared at the glowing letters. Then she said softly, Tell me about Jago Jalo. He must have seemed a godsend. Yes. We were already aware that the disk was doomed. In those days we maintained an arrestor screen against meteorites. It was comparatively easy to extract the residual velocity from his ship. We watched him bring his smaller ship within the vault of heaven. Unfortunately, we could not contact him. That should have made us suspicious. You allowed him to land, though. Unfortunately, his ship attracted the attention of a rock during the descent. A rock? A large bird. I don't believe it, said Marco. I see it, but I don't believe it. It's going to take us home, is that it? Below them land flashed past in a dusty blur. There was a brief impression of surf, and then the rock was arrowing out to sea. 
"'Didn't you see the big egg in that garden where you were caged?' said Kin weakly. "'Didn't you wonder what laid it?' "'Of course it can't take us home. It's just a big bird. I saw the specifications back in the hub.' "'It seems a little stupid to say this, in the circumstances,' said Silver. "'But such a creature could not exist in flesh and blood. It would collapse under its own weight.' "'It doesn't weigh more than five tons,' said Kin. "'It's one of the disc-builder's finest constructions. "'It's alive. "'It's got sinews like line-cord, "'and its bones are pneumatic, "'just tubes filled with gas under pressure. "'The computer showed me. "'Marvellous, isn't it?' "'Why is it losing height? "'We'll land in the sea,' said Marco. "'Yes,' said Kin. "'I should get back into your couch if I were you.' "'You mean we are going to land in the sea?' Marco looked down at the rushing waves. They were low enough for every crest to be visible. Then he looked at what, on the disk, had to be called the horizon. The sun was just a red glow, half hidden by strips of cloud, tipping the wave tops with fire. Marco thought, "'Oh, no,' he said. "'Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you're not planning to do what I think you're planning to do.' "'If it helps you any,' said Kin. Jago Jalo was insane even by the standards of an insane age. It became obvious. We had not considered that any race would send its madmen into space. In a ship like this, only a madman would go. He came to the hub with a demounted geological laser. He killed the chairman of the time. You didn't try to stop him? We were not instructed to do so. Besides, the man was obviously from a technological culture. We had to weigh the future of the disk. He ordered us to build him a ship. It was not difficult. We calculated that if we assisted Jago Jalo back to his home world, it would not be long before we had further visitors. Therefore we sent with him one of our spy-birds, the ravens, the eyes of God our beautifully created birds. Then why didn't you contact us as soon as we arrived? Hell, I've had fleas. I've nearly been burned alive. I was shoved in a seraglio. We decided to observe you first. We could not be sure that Jalo was an exception. And then the four-armed creature added weight to our suspicions. Kin watched the letters fade. She said, you know that we can build worlds, proper worlds, planets. We could build a planet for the disk people. You know it is a fair copy of mine home world. Yes. Do you know why? Yes. Will you tell me? The screen stayed blank for several seconds. Then it was filled with words so many that the computers had to reduce the size of the letters. Kin stood up and read, you wish to know about the disk builders. You wish to know the reasons behind the construction of the disk. We can tell you, but it is our only bargaining counter on behalf of our children. It is possible that you could leave and return to plunder the disk as Jalo had intended. We could not stop you. Yet we realize that knowledge is a prize you greatly desire. We will give you knowledge. You will build a new world for our people. Kin had already been considering it. It would mean building a G-type star within a few light minutes of the disk, unless there was a suitable one that could be moved. 
We'd need access to disk technology, she said. Teleportation, the force grow vat theories a lot. You would have it, of course. Then you will have your new world. If the company won't do it, I could float a company of my own with that bait. I could go to one of the small operators. Yes, I'll do it. We have a bargain. Just like that. You don't need any... Well, I guess I can't give you any sureties, said Kin, surprised. We have observed you. We estimate there is a 99.87% chance that you will honour the bargain. Don the helmet. Kin looked up at the padded metal rim above her head. We trust you. Trust us. The helmet will link you to certain circuits designed for this situation. We can give you not information but knowledge that you will obtain nowhere else in the universe. The purpose of life is to find things out, said Kin doubtfully. Yes. Who would shun knowledge? Kin sighed, reached up, grasped, pulled. The robots were busy in the centre of the deck. One of them rolled towards the horseshoe panel, trailing a cable behind it. The rest were clustered around an oddly bent piece of mirror-bright rod. When Kin looked at it, her eyes ached. It seemed to be twisted in ways that normal matter just couldn't go, which meant she was looking at the heart of a matrix drive. She was glad. She'd had a horrible thought about what would happen if one didn't get built. The robots had also built a proper pilot seat in front of the controls. Marco was sitting in it, swearing. "'It'll be like finding a hole in fog,' he said. "'I hope your tin friend builds good jets.' "'The hole will show up on the screen,' suggested Silver. "'Yeah, but we'll be going at a hell of a lick. Kin, are you sure it's all worked out?' Kin smiled. "'Right down to the disk's tumbling speed and the rotation of the vault of heaven.' Don't you believe that machines capable of running the disk for seventy thousand years are capable of threading a needle ten thousand miles away by dropping the thread over a waterfall? No! I want a chance to experiment with the jets. You'll have it. The rock's wing-beats thundered in the night as it wheeled about and skimmed across the dark water. It dropped the ship, fought frantically for height again, wingtips brushing the waves. There was a moment of free fall, then a slap as the ship hit. It bobbed and spun slowly. The rock passed across the stars, wings booming, heading back to its secret valleys, and Kin relaxed. Through the hull of the ship there came a new sound, a soft murmur as of distant engines. The rimfall. She waited, with the soft padding of the helmet pressing against her closed eyes. Nothing happened. Then she remembered. It came as a shock, but that dwindled as she took control over the body. How could she have forgotten? Then she remembered about that too. Unless one forgot, how could one learn? She could feel kin somewhere in her mind, a little flask of tastes and textures, senses and experiences. Around her she could experience the disk, and she knew there was danger there. It would be too easy to lose herself in the sheer exhilarating enjoyment of it. She turned her mind back to the computers. You have done well. That was my task. I will allow some recollection to Kin Arad. She is me, after all. 
She will awake knowing something about us, and she will understand about the disk. Yes. She reached into the mind within her, and made certain amendments. Then, contented, she let herself forget. Kin remembered. The memories were there, cold, hard, real, like shards of ice in the mind. She recalled the disk. The disk, she said, her voice flat in the shock of it, is the boot in the coal measure, the coin in the crystal, the filling in the tooth of the triceratops, the secret mark that reveals the maker. They couldn't resist it. They built a perfect universe, two specifications, but they couldn't resist adding the disk out here, hard to find but a clue. How do I know? she shouted. The screen stayed blank. I know it. They weren't just the disk builders. They built the lot. The real earth, Kung, all the stars. They laid down our fossils. We thought maybe great spindle kings had done that, but the spindle kings never existed. They were all part of the false strata of the new universe. We wondered if we'd evolved with the help of the kings. We never evolved. We were created, just like we create whales and elephants for our colony worlds. We're a colony universe. The builders just moved in and built it, and because everyone needs a history, they gave us a history. Just as we do with the new worlds, ancient bones, fabulous monsters, great spindle kings, wheelers, and we never realized it. We did it ourselves, and we never tumbled to it. Then one of them built the disk, almost as a joke, maybe, certainly for no important reason, an exercise in ingenuity. It must have been an afterthought, a collection of neat ideas, put together after the main work was done. Seventy thousand years? That's the age of the universe. It's hardly got its paint scratched. We thought it was four billion years old. The evidence said that it was, and we believed in the evidence. She leaned back. She could still feel the memories there, like old facts forgotten until now. She probed them gingerly, as a tongue explores a hollow tooth. Old, intelligent, divorced from matter. That's how I remember the builders. Each one bigger than we can imagine, or, or maybe smaller, because because there would be nothing to measure except the ego. I said old. Even their age couldn't be measured, because until they built the universe there was no time. Am I right? We cannot answer that question briefly. We know nothing of them other than that which they told us. What do you know of them, then? Before them there was only probability. They imposed a pattern on that probability. Why? Your company builds worlds. There is no real need. Your natal world is not overpopulated. Why? Once we were overpopulated, and we found that the more people there were, the more they were the same. It was the only way we could survive. People had always dreamed of a unified world. We thought it would be a richer one. It wasn't. It meant that the Eskimo got educated and learned cost accountancy. But it didn't mean that the German learned to hunt whales with a spear. It meant everyone learned how to press buttons, and no one remembered how to dive for pearls. Then the mind quakes got us, 
That would have been, yes, a couple of years after the terminus probes. People just died, died in their billions too, their minds just kind of folded in on themselves. Afterwards we had to start over. At least we had all the toys of the Spindle Kings to play with, and we could spread out. We had to spread out, after the quakes. They made us look hard for mental elbow room, new worlds where we could flee and learn the forgotten ways. We had built robots to remember some of them for us. We thought it was natural, a trodden path. You see, we had the example of the Spindle Kings. We thought that any intelligent species filled its home world until the sheer mind pressure started killing them off, and then the survivors embarked on interstellar colonization. Whatever way they rationalized it, the real reason would be a fierce desire to escape from other people. And then, since usable worlds aren't that common, they'd start to learn planetary engineering. Oh, we had it all carefully calculated. Race after race, fruiting and bursting across the evolving galaxy, creating new worlds before they died, and in the process making new seed beds for new races. I wrote a book about it called Continuous Creation. <laughs> now you can write the second edition. It'll be a bit short, I'm damn sure about that. What can I say? The lights in the sky are scenery. Why not? You haven't told me why the builders built. The words flashed onto the screen immediately, as if the computers had been preparing them. Humans are inquisitive. That is a function of their humanity. The beings that built this universe did so because it was unthinkable that they should not. Creation is not a thing that gods do. It is something that they are. And afterwards? What did they do next? There was white water around the ship. Kin could see a little tree-shrouded island beyond one port, a humped black shape in the twilight, and could feel the hull bouncing over the water. The sky wheeled. There was no jolt. It was simply that now the floor was just a wall. Foam covered the ports for a moment, and then Kin could look down. The rim fall hung before them, looking exactly like a luminous white road. Marco in the pilot's seat was outlined against it, and Kin could see that he had instinctively braced himself with his feet scrabbling for a hold. Down, way down, there was a ball of fire in the sky. The disk was in darkness now, but the little orbiting sun was giving a brief day to the face of the waterfall. While Kin watched, it climbed above her and disappeared as the ship overtook it. Later there was a cloud at the limit of vision. It stayed there for a while, then raced up the glittering stream at a speed that made Kin flinch. There was the faintest of lurches and a second's darkness as the ship left the water behind at the molecule sieve, and then there were stars. There was a long hiss from Marco. It may have been a sigh of relief. Silver said, I would have felt happier if the computers had been able to arrange a more conventional launching, but I must admit it had style. From their point of view, that was the most efficient way, said Kin. The sky spun again as Marco turned the ship so that down was where long tradition had always put it, in the region of the feet. Silver unfastened her couch straps, then looked across at Kin. We built the universe, didn't we? she said. Not us, precisely, these lumps of bone and brain, but the thing in us that makes us what we are, the thing that dreams while the rest of us is asleep. Kin smiled. The computers wouldn't tell, she said. 
But yes, you're right. I think the computers had a certain extra function. They could suppress all the mental static, so the... Oh, hell, why avoid the word? So that the god inside could surface just for a while and perform. That's why practically anyone could be the disc master. If Jago Jalo had tried the helmet, he'd be there still. No one will believe you, said Marco without turning his head. I'm not sure that would be a tragedy, said Kin. The disc was put there as a hoax, or a hint. No one has to believe it. We'll build a planet for the disc people and transfer them, and that is the thing that needs to be done. The challenge warmed her. The building of a new Earth, so carefully done that the disc people could be transferred and not know it. There'd have to be new continents designed, and the disc people would have to be put in a freeze sleep until some of their number had bred enough to populate them. It could take a thousand years. There'd be a whole solar system to drag into place, great planets around far stars to be ringed in some vast fields and flipped across light years. Buffaloes to be designed. Life wouldn't be boring. Would what the computers could tell them pay for it? It would. They slept and they ate, while the ship dipped under the monstrous shadow in the sky. The little toiling sun shed no light on the blackness as it swung across it. Presently the far edge of the rim four began to grow larger. Marco slid back into his seat and spoke to the ship's little brain. Okay, he reported. Major burn coming up. This is where we say goodbye, so get into those couches. The committee are timing this one for us. It took ten minutes of slight discomfort, listening to the faint roar from the outrigger jets. Kin heard a sigh from Marco's couch as the engines shut off. That's it, he said. Now we hit the hole, or we miss the hole. I never thought I'd have to worry about running into the wall of the universe. The rimfall raced past a few thousand miles away, phosphorescent in the light of the full moon. Even Marco took a deep breath as the ship rose above the edge of the disk and plunged towards the sky. The disk was a design of white and black, a silver and ebony coin floating under a sky wild with stars. The stars were getting nearer. The moon became a pearl hovering over the disk, and the stars were definitely getting nearer. The hole that Jago Jalo had cut in the vault of heaven had been big enough for the ring ship to go through, and this one was much smaller, but it would be approaching it at a low angle. The computers had told Marco that the hole would be wide enough. They had told Kin the same, but had added their estimate of the distance to spare. Kin hadn't dared pass it on to Marco. The minimum clearance was a little less than a metre. She found she was staring ahead, searching the sky. The other two were doing the same. Stars were drifting overhead. While Kin watched, their silent, snowflake movement became a brisk race. Then they were a blur. There was the briefest impression of something around the ship as a star swelled, blazed, and disappeared. A slight shudder marked the demise of one of the outrigger jets, knocked off against the edge of the sky. Then there were stars again, deceptively similar, and the ship was dropping into the gulf. She could hear Marco breathing noisily. Silver was humming a tune in a rolling baritone. Kin 
watched the stars she knew were only seventy thousand years old, marginally older than their cousins hanging from the vault of heaven. Stars were just lights in the sky, but bigger skies demanded bigger stars. Kin thought about the second edition. The ship fell onwards into the scenery. That is the end of Strata. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Stephen Briggs.